People from history have been modified beyond all recognition. I only hope that the town itself, a place I love with all my heart, has not been. Chapter 1 Homecoming The day I returned to Templeton steeped in disgrace, the fifty-foot corpse of a monster surfaced in Lake Glimmerglass. It was one of those strange purple dawns that color July there, when the bowl made by the hills fills with a thick fog, and even the songbirds sing timorously, unsure of day or night. The fog was still deep when Dr. Clooney found the monster on his morning row. I imagine how it went. The slide of the skull's knife across the lake. The oarheads casting rings on the water. The red bow light pulsing into the dark. Then sudden, looming over the doctor's shoulder, an island where there had never before been an island, the vast belly of the dead beast. Gliding backward, the old doctor couldn't see it. He neared. The bow ball of his boat pushed into the rubbery flesh like a finger into a balloon. The pressure of boat versus skin reached a tensile limit without piercing anything. The boat checked its bowward motion and jerked astern. The doctor turned, but he was prepared only for the possible, and didn't at first know what was before him. When he saw the large and terrible eye, still milking over with death, the good doctor blinked. And then he fainted. When Dr. Clooney came to, the dawn had thinned. The water was shot with bars of light, and he found himself rowing around and around the bellied-up beast, weeping. In his mouth, there was the sweet bird of whorehound candy, the exact savor of his long-ago childhood. Only when a seagull landed upon the flat chin of the leviathan and bent to steal a taste, did Dr. Clooney return to himself. Only then did he skid back over the water to the awakening town, shouting his news. Miracle, he called. Miracle! Come, quick! See! At that precise moment, I was idling in the park across the street from Averill Cottage, my childhood home. For at least an hour, I had been standing in the depression that the town flooded in winter to make a skating rink, gathering what courage I could. The fog veiled my grand, awkward house, with its original cottage from 1793, one wing from Victorian 1890, and another from the tasteless 1970s, turning the whole into something more coherent, almost beautiful. In my delirium, I thought I could see my mother inside, with a few lifetimes of family antiques, and the gentle ghost that lived in my childhood room, all traced like bones on an X-ray, delicate as chalk. I felt the world around me creak and strain, snapping apart, fiber by fiber, like a rope pulled too tautly. Back near Buffalo, I had had a glimpse of myself in a rest-stop bathroom and was horrified to find myself transformed into a stranger in rumpled, dirty clothing, my once pretty face bloated and red with crying jags. I was drawn, thin, welted with the bites of a thousand Alaskan blackflies. My hair, shorn in April, was now growing out in weird brown tufts. 
I looked like some little chick, starving, molting, kicked out of the nest for late-discovered freakishness. As the night thinned around me, I leaned over and retched. And I still hadn't moved when, down Lake Street, there came a muffled trampling sound. I knew before I saw them that the sounds were from the running buds, a small dear band of middle-aged men who jog around the streets of Templeton every morning, in all weather, in ice, in rain, in this fine pelted fog. When the buds came nearer, I could hear gentle talking, some spitting, some wheezing over their footsteps. They moved out of the dark and into the glow of the single street lamp on Lake Street, and seeing me in the park in my little depression, seeing perhaps something familiar about me, but not quite recognizing who I was at that distance,